16. So the context is essentially this. So the disciples are troubled that Jesus is leaving them. We see this very clearly in uh, chapter 13. He says he's going to go away, and his disciples are like, oh, no. What does this mean for us? So they're, they're kind of frantically wondering and questioning him what's going on. So he tells them not to be troubled because he's going to prepare a place for them. This is very familiar language to those of you who know the Bible. He's going to go and prepare a place for them. The place is a meeting place where they will still have his presence. Now, if this doesn't make quite sense to you, um, I would invite you to go back and listen to our first two sermons on this subject. Uh, because this understanding of the Father's house with many rooms carries a lot more weight than most of us have realized. The Father's house with many rooms has this imagery of the temple. Okay, So Jesus is somehow saying that they will be able to enter into this metaphysical place where they can meet with God. Kind of this internal reality where we temple God. Where we are the place where God and man meet together. Where heaven and earth kind of come together in our own hearts. So last week we spoke of how this place is the fulfillment of the Holy of Holies. And the only way that we can go there to that place that Jesus is preparing for us is through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's how you go to the temple, through the sacrificial lamb of God. Remember, Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is how we go to that Holy of Holies to meet with God. So he prepares that place for us as our high priest. That's who we need to go to the temple. And also, our he's our sacrifice, too. So he's not just the priest that takes us there. He's also the sacrifice that we need to be able to be right with God when he goes to the cross. It's a really beautiful imagery that the Bible gives to us. So once we have that, once we understand that that place is prepared, we need to ask some more questions. That's what we've been doing through this whole series is, what do we think about this? What about that? So this week, what we're going to ask is, well, how do we inhabit that place? How do we go to the place and inhabit the place that Jesus has prepared for us? And further, once we're there, what is the point of the place prepared for us? What does it mean for us? Uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today in John's Gospel. In chapter 14, we're going to read the entirety of it. It is uh, a little bit lengthy. It is 31 verses. So we're going to read John chapter 14, verses 1 through 31. These are the words of God. So let's give attention to them this morning, church. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, but I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. 
Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If anyone, or if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, who said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name... He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I and now I've told you before it takes place, so that, when it, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us without a word. Lord, we, not only do you give us your presence, but we thank you that you give us your word that is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. So, Father, I pray this morning that the same Holy Spirit that inspired these words to be handed down through the thousands of years, through the ages to us today, to where we can read these words on a page. Lord, I pray that that same Holy Spirit that carried it along through history would now bear witness in our own hearts. Lord, I pray that that same Holy Spirit that inspired these words would now inspire our hearts so that we might have a true understanding of your word. We know that if it is, uh, that apart from your Holy Spirit, we will not understand the words that we are reading now. We need your help. We need you to bring to remembrance all things. We need you to teach us. So we sit at your feet this morning as your subjects, as your sons and daughters, and we pray for a true understanding of your scriptures this morning. And we ask it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So how do we inhabit this place that Jesus is talking about? Well, by now, if you've been following along, you know that the father's what the father's house is. Right. You have this concept of what it is. And because you know what it is or you might we might say where it is, you also know how to get there. Right. It's through belief in Christ alone. Jesus is the way. He's the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through the Son. So in this sense, we know how to inhabit the place, right? Jesus is the only way. But 
What I want to speak to you this morning about is more about the nature of the indwelling of that place. What, what does it even mean to be there, and how does it actually take place? How does this connection to God take place? So what we're going to do is grab some of these verses from this chapter and start to build up a mental image of what the nature of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is. We're going to talk about the doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound exciting? <laughs> uh, it is exciting, church. Uh, if you would, open your Bibles and uh, turn with me to verses 16 and 17. This is kind of where I want to start looking at this morning and build up this idea of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Verses 16 and 17 say this, And I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. Okay, will be in you. And I wanted to start here because this makes an important distinction about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says they already know him, so they already have a concept in their mind of uh, the Holy Spirit. He even dwells with them, is what Jesus says. Uh, but what this tells us that many people ignore is that the people of God have always had the Holy Spirit. Right? He's always been there. Okay, And at the very beginning, think about Genesis. All the way, way, way back at the very beginning, what was it that hovered over the waters in creation? It was the Spirit. Okay, So the Spirit has been in the world and working in the world from the very beginning. If you look at some of the Old Testament prophets and the way that they spoke about the Holy Spirit, Isaiah 63, 11 says this. He says, he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. So he's making reference to the, the workings of Israel, uh, he says, where is he, kind of questions, where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flocks? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Okay, so the Holy Spirit has been in the midst of the Old Testament people all throughout history. And th th when he talks about putting them in the midst of his Holy Spirit, uh, this is a reference to the glory of the Lord who led the people uh, out of Israel. This is the, the glory of the Lord that inhabited the temple. This is the glory of the Lord that has been with the people of God all along. And David even prays, as we looked earlier in our confession, didn't we? Cast not me away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. So what verse 17 shows us is that the Holy Spirit isn't a new thing for the people of God. We sometimes think this way, but it's not true. His presence has always been among them in some way. And that's the kind of italics that I want you to get there. In some way. Something's about to change, though, where Jesus is saying he has been here. He's been with you, but something else is coming. There's this new understanding, this new nature of the Holy Spirit that's going to be in the world. But that's the difference, isn't it? That, that in you that Jesus is getting ready to talk about. Jesus says, you know him, he dwells with you, but he will be, underline that there, in you. That's the different part. That's the new thing about the coming of the Holy Spirit that he is sending. So he's saying there is going to be a new kind of presence of the Holy Spirit. Not a new spirit, it's the same spirit, but a new experience of the Holy Spirit. And before, they all gathered in the temple Right around this one Holy Spirit, and the, the Holy Spirit came into the temple, and that's where they got the presence of God. We go to the temple. That's why David says, I long to be there all day long. I just want to go to the temple. But the Holy Spirit comes, 
And now it's distributed, isn't it? The Holy Spirit uh, led the people of God in the, uh, the Old Testament in one localized place, and they all came around this one Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit led them in that way. But let me read a short story for you that happened earlier in the life of Israel that left them longing for more than that, that where they wanted more than just this one localized Holy Spirit leading them, okay? You can turn there in your Bibles if you want. You don't have to. You can just listen if you want. It's from Numbers 11. So way back in the Old Testament, Numbers 11, 26 through 29. This is what it says. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad, another named Medad. And the spirit, the spirit rested on them. If you're opening your Bibles, you might want to underline that. And the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. That's a reference to the tabernacle where the Holy Spirit dwelt, where the glory was at. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. The old King James, I think, says, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. Right? So he's concerned. And Joshua, the son of Nun, another leader in Israel, the assistant of Moses from his youth, it says, said, Lord Moses, stop them. Stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous? For my sake, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. So this is Moses's longing. He says, are you jealous? Why wouldn't you want this? Why wouldn't you want that everyone would be doing this where the spirit is kind of resting on everyone? Okay, so this is what Moses longed for is the indwelling of all the people. Now consider Pentecost. Okay, this is usually where our mind goes when we think of the Holy Spirit, right? The glory didn't fill the Holy of Holies in the temple when the Spirit came, did it? They were probably actually working on the temple at that time because when Jesus died, do you remember what happened in the Holy of Holies, that curtain? It tore from the top to the bottom. Not the bottom up, but the top to the bottom, which was a, a sign from God that judgment has come and this separation has been removed. So they were actually probably physically working on the temple at that time, but that's not actually where Pentecost took place. The, when the glory came, it wasn't in the physical temple. When Jesus came, just as he promised he would, he inhabited the believers individually by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he came, it wasn't Peter preaching and all the thousands of people out there with one big pillar of fire leading them, was it? It wasn't one pillar. There were many pillars. Do you remember what happened? They individually had divided tongues as of fire resting over their heads, just like Eldad and Medad. Everyone had it. This was what all the believers were experiencing. So this speaks to the indwelling of the Spirit that everyone who believes in Jesus has. All believers are indwelt by the power and work of the Holy Spirit now. This is the new thing that Jesus comes to tell his disciples about. So the Spirit coming at Pentecost wasn't the Holy Spirit coming from heaven to earth for the first time. I know a lot of people kind of think of it like that. Well, now, great, now the Holy Spirit's here. Well, the Holy Spirit's been here all along. It was amazingly, though, a, a, distribu a distribution of the already present Holy Spirit that is now coming to indwell them individually. That's the new thing that came at Pentecost. It's not one big following of the Holy Spirit. Now everyone... All of you who believe in Jesus are going to have the Holy Spirit leading you like the children of Israel were led by that pillar of fire. Only it's individual. It's personal. It's close to you. They knew him. He dwelt among him. But now he is in them. Now let me speak to the nature of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What are the implications of this indwelling? Well, there are two kind of subjects that I'm going to look at. I'm going to look at the internal 
presence of the Holy Spirit, how it internally affects us, and then the external work of the Holy Spirit. How does it work out from us? So first, I want to think about the internal, or we might say the individual implications before we look at the corporate implications of how the Holy Spirit works. Now, perhaps the most important uh, for the disciples he was speaking to was the peace and comfort that comes from the presence. Remember, they're troubled. Their hearts are upset. Jesus says, I'm going to leave, and they're saying, what does that mean for us? How do we go on? What is this going to look like? Now, living in a world where we don't have Jesus. Now, some of you might ask the same thing. If Jesus told you, I'm going to leave you, he might say, well, what does this look like for me? How do I live life? How do I even do this? This is what the disciples were wondering. So I want you to kind of internalize this fact for yourself this morning. I want you to put yourself in their shoes and kind of let these things resonate uh, with you. Where has your heart been troubled before? When have you been anxious and worried? Oftentimes we can feel that God is moving away from us. We know factually he's not. We know the scriptures. We rehearse them in our minds, don't we? He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. But then we get in the moment and we seem to immediately forget those things, don't we? So you understand what it means to have a troubled heart. You understand the fear that kind of sets in. This is where his disciples were. They were troubled. They were fearful. And and just note some of the things that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit combats with his presence. This is how the Holy Spirit actually comes to speak to those fears. Notice in verse 1 and 27, there are two things that are mentioned that Jesus is combating. That's the troubled heart and fear. Fear not. That's commanded more than anything else in Scripture. And Jesus is going to tell us how you are going to fear not. There's going to be implications to the command and an understanding of how this works. Now, ask yourself, do you ever feel trouble in your heart? Think about your life. Think about circumstances that some of you are going through. And don't say you don't have any, because I know. I mean, you guys bring these things. I mean, we pray for them. So I I want you to kind of internalize this for a minute. Think about the ways that we kind of wrestle in our own heart, in our own soul, in the moment, where we start to fear outcomes. How is this going to play out with my job? How is this going to play out with this relationship with this person that's really difficult? What does this mean for me? How do I live in this moment? Now, it's in these moments that Jesus gives you something better than a Xanax. Better than a Valium, right? And this is what the world would want to prescribe for you. Oh, you're very anxious. I got a pill for that. I can fix that. But Jesus speaks to us in a way that's deeper than that, doesn't he? He doesn't lead you into numbness through prescribed tranquilizers. He doesn't hand you a bottle and say, here's some Jack Daniels. Just numb yourself. We can get through this. That's not actually the way that Jesus tells us that we need to combat our fears. This isn't the way that Jesus tells us that we live the Christian life. He gives us something better than that. He combats fear with peace through his presence. The presence of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is actually how we get through life. Now this word peace, did you notice that in the text in verse 27? Peace I leave with you. This word peace carries a lot more weight than we really realize. This word is actually the word shalom. Now, those of you in a Christian context, you'll understand because we have Jewish roots, don't we? We know that this word shalom means more than just peace. There's this idea that comes with the word shalom of harmony, wholeness, completeness, true tranquility, not tranquilization where we're just feeling numb. This is actually where we're embracing and enjoying and having a a peace about our whole being. This is what Jesus is speaking to when he's speaking of the peace that he leaves with us. Shalom. My shalom I leave with you. And this is why the Holy Spirit is not just spoken of as a force. The Holy Spirit isn't just a force. He's personal. This is something that we forget too. 
The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity, as Bree was mentioning a minute ago. He is, he's, uh, he is right on status with the person of Jesus and the fatherhood of God. And, and this is why uh, when it says he's not just leaving us comfort, he's leaving us the comforter. Right? This is a, a personal force. The, the ESV reads helper. Right? He's not just leaving some help for us. He is leaving for us the helper. This is a, a personal person that is with us at all times, that is there to unite us to God and give us shalom, wholeness, peace, harmony. Okay, So this is one way that it speaks to our hearts. But there's other ways uh, that we start to feel restless and anxious when we think about life. Okay, This leads us to thinking about our hearts being troubled, and, and we start to wonder, well, how am I going to get through this? Yes, there's, there's this peace, but what does this even look like? What are the feelings that rush through our minds when we're in those, place, uh, in those places? And Jesus speaks to this in verse 18. I want you to read this with me, and I want you to see something here that we might miss. Verse 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. So when we get in these moments, Jesus understands that there's a kind of orphanhood that we start to feel. There's a fatherlessness when we're in those moments that we need a father's touch. We need the help of a father. We start to feel like I'm, I'm just all out on my own. I feel like an orphan. And Jesus speaks to this issue. Now, many of you in this room have never been official orphans, but... Neither were the disciples. Okay? He's not speaking to real orphans. He's saying this is something that you might experience. You might feel like you are being an orphan. Okay, So the, the presence of Jesus was so near to the Father that he could say in verse 9 that if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. Okay, So how can he say this? Well, it's because the Father dwells in him. And he and the Father, I know there's a lot of that in this passage here. I'm in him, and he's in me, and we're dwelling together, and we're all one. But what he's saying there is there's this really close oneness that if you are seeing Jesus, you're having a relationship with the Father. Okay. So if I'm not here, is what he's saying, you might feel like an orphan. You're going to feel a father wound. You're going to feel a father gap. So I'm going to have to fill this with something. So uh, his departure uh, is bringing this feeling of fatherlessness coming to them. And that's why he speaks to this. He wouldn't say that otherwise. Okay. So he's speaking to their hearts. And there's some of you here in this room who may have lost your fathers. There's some of you in this room who have uh, maybe lost mentors that were like a father to you. And maybe you have your father, maybe you have a mentor and everyone's alive in your life that speaks heavily into your life like a father. But the fact of the matter is there are just times in life when those people can't be there for you. When your dad isn't there, when you really love to ask your dad, Dad, what would you do here? When you love to ask your mentor, maybe this really influential person in your life, I don't know what to do. What would you do? There are many times in life where we don't have that answer and we don't have that mentor there, and we would just love some kind of personal presence there that could speak to that issue, that could touch our hearts in that way. And Jesus says to you this morning, I'm not leaving you as an orphan. I'll come to you. This is for you, church. This, this isn't just the disciples that he's speaking to. I want you to hear from the heart of Jesus this morning that he will not leave you as an orphan. He will come with you. And it says, and when I come to you, verse 23, we will make our home with you. Interesting, isn't it? Did you catch that? We will make our home with you. So through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the entire Trinity can be said to be at home with you, in you. We will make our home in you. 
Now, this is interesting, isn't it? Jesus is speaking of the love of the Son being reciprocated as love from the Father in you. And what this means is that for the believer, there is a real internal community at work in you. Have you thought about that before? Where you're united to God, and there's this real internal community. Because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you are united to a Trinitarian economy. They are doing things in you. They, not just the Holy Spirit. There's a lot going on in our souls that we don't often realize. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all active working in you, working out your salvation. It's beautiful the way that God comes to us and gives this gift to us, this gift of community through the Holy Spirit. So when we realize this, it moves us beyond the internal implications of the Spirit and moves us to the external application, doesn't it? Yes, it means you have peace for your troubled heart. It's for you, absolutely. It's for your heart. Yes, it means that orphanhood is combated in you. Yes, it means that you have comfort and help. Yes, you have all of these things. But is it anything more than that? Is it just for you? Is it just for your sake? Is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for us only, or does it serve some real purpose in the creational order beyond us? Now, this brings us kind of back to the beginning, doesn't it? Where the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters? The Holy Spirit's been here working all along to bring order in the world. Now he's come to us and bring order into our own lives. And this has implications that gets worked out, where the Holy Spirit's uniting with other believers, where we come together with this Trinitarian economy at work in us, this community at work in us to start to do something. Okay, We need to catch from this text that the presence of the Holy Spirit should compel us to build, to, to, to work to be on mission for Jesus. He has a mission that is bigger than just our troubled hearts. It is actually for the salvation of the world. We have a lot on our shoulders that we're carrying, but thank God we have a helper to do this work. Right? So it's intended, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it's intended to continue the ministry of Jesus on earth. There's still work to do. This is why Jesus says to you, even greater things, verse 12, Did you catch that? Even greater things will I do in my name. Sorry, you will do in my name. Now, why? Because he's going to the Father and he's sending the Spirit. Well, somehow this means that we're going to do greater things. And now he's not saying here, well, because I'm leaving and now you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, uh, that now you'll be able to do cooler miracles than I did. Right? That's not really what he's getting at, even though sometimes we start to read it that, that way. He's saying the scope of the ministry of the church will be greater than the couple of years of ministry that I led you in. I was here for a short time. I was localized. My presence was here with you, and I couldn't be everywhere at once. But I'm getting ready to go to the Father, and I'm going to send you the Spirit that is actually going to be better than me being here because I'm going to distribute the Holy Spirit on all believers. I'm going to be present with all the church, and we're going to actually do some really, really great work. In fact, you are going to do greater things than I did in my ministry. This is a really amazing thing if you think about it. That the call of the church is to do greater works than the ministry of Jesus when he was just on the earth. So the ministry of reconciliation is no longer limited and uh, held back by a geographical temple. It's distributed among all believers. We're all carrying 
the glory of God. We're all the temple now, and we are called to go and take the temple to the world. We're called to be that place where the world and or where the heaven and earth come together, and in a sense, baptizing the world, kind of sanctifying the world, taking our holiness out rather than calling the holiness into us. So we need to catch that purpose of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's primarily teaching us not just to perform, but to live. Right? This is a calling simply to live. He says, you will live because I live, in verse 19. And that's not to say that uh, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit excludes miraculous happenstances through your ministry. I'm not, don't hear me say this morning that the Holy Spirit only means that we work and um, God isn't going to do amazing things in your midst. But when we recognize that Jesus is calling us to work, this is actually a really amazing calling that is a, a simple calling of humanity. Okay, When Jesus calls us to do greater works, we should be thinking about work and really the ordinary sense, okay? Doing good works, working and keeping, just like Adam and Eve were originally called to do, right? They were call, called to take dominion and work in the world, work and keep the garden. And what did God give to Adam when he called him to do this? He gave him a helper, didn't he? He gave him a helper to call, uh, to take over and subdue the earth, take dominion, right? Bring order to the earth, name the animals, right? This is the power that Jesus is giving us in the church. It's, it's a redeemed and a, a baptized, you might say, a calling that he's giving to the church of what Adam was originally called in. So when he calls us to do this, he's giving us the helper to help build out our faithfulness to God through good works. Right? We're not calling to perform and do really cool things for people so that they can see how awesome that we are. And, oh, God is real because I did a cool thing. No, he's just calling us to good works that our Father in heaven might be glorified. This is the way that we work out the kingdom of God among us. Now, remember how much he's been stressing love to him, obedience to his commandments. And it can almost seem like, why did he sprinkle that in? Why does he keep talking about obedience? Why does he keep talking about commandments? Right? We don't want to consider those verses. We kind of just want to sweep them under the rug. Well, great, we get the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, People uh, will know us by our love for others, is what Jesus says. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So through our good works, people will glorify our Father in heaven. Again, don't hear me saying that I do not believe in the miraculous, but what I am warning of is a way of seeing the Holy Spirit indwelling us as only for performance purposes. And you've seen this before, haven't you? Where people think that the Holy Spirit just means that you can do these sign gifts so that people might believe in Jesus. But it's more than that because it misses the, the personal instructive element of the Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth, right? We need the Holy Spirit. It's not just the world that needs the Holy Spirit. There, there are both sides to this. We need guidance. How are you going to guide others if you aren't even being guided? We need taught. We need a teacher. We don't have it all together. Just because we have the Holy Spirit does not mean that we have it all together. In fact, because we have the Holy Spirit is a sign that we really need help. We need a helper. We need a personal reminder. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come and bring to your remembrance the things that I've told you. You need the Holy Spirit just to live your Christian life, just to go on keeping his commandments. We need direction how we're going to do this. You need peace. You need shalom. The world doesn't need, we don't just need world peace. We need personal peace. We need personal wholeness. And until we get that and recognize that understanding of the Holy Spirit working in our own hearts, there's no way we can take it out into the world. It starts here in the heart. Okay? So his physical presence that Jesus had, his teaching presence, his guiding presence, his help, and so on, that's being replaced with this metaphysical presence that is actually better 
and should cause us reason to rejoice. He says, if you love me, if you understand what I'm doing here, this is actually going to make you happier that I'm going away. And this kind of blows our mind, doesn't it? How, how can it be better that Jesus isn't here? But he's saying in a real way, it is better. It's better because you're going to have this personal relationship. And if you understand that, if you've tapped into it before, you do understand this. It is a joyful thing to be indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing like it. It's an experience that I can't even explain to you. So Jesus says it's going to be better now that we have his name in us, not just with us. Did you catch that that phrase, in his name? I think it's three times it talks about in the name of Jesus that we see this in this text. Well, how does that fit into all this? Because we talk about it all the time, don't we? We baptize you in the name of Jesus. We, we pray in the name of Jesus. What does it mean when it talks about the name of Jesus? Well, when Jesus says, if we ask anything in his name, it will be done. This is verse 13 and 14. It doesn't mean if we just slap on in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers that we'll get whatever we want. Sorry to tell you that if that's a news flash to anyone, but, but that's the reality of it. We can't just pray. If I, I want a Lamborghini in the name of Jesus. Sorry, it's not going to happen. That's not what he means. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Okay? To be given the name of someone means you understand who they are. You understand their character, what they desire, their will. You understand uh, what they're about, who they are, and you even have an authority to carry it out. Now, let me give you an example here that will probably uh, – it helps me drive this home at least in my own mind. I can, for the most part – Operate in the Scroggins name. That's my last name for those of you who don't know. I can operate in the Scroggins name because it's in me and I am in it. I am a Scroggins. It's in my blood. So as a son, I know what my father's name means. Okay? I know how to act in it. I understand it. I understand what glorifies my earthly father because of the mutual love that we have for each other. We are close and we are in communion with one another. Now, many of you could operate in my name but only in a very, very limited sense. What limited sense do you think that would be? If I was with you, right? If my presence was with you, you might be able to say, hey, Mason, what would you think about this? What would you do in this situation? You would ask me, and then you might be able to make a decision. Then you might be able to have authority behind you to say, oh, Mason's will is this. Mason's desire is this. Mason's character is even this. Now, some of you don't even know me that extensively. But if you were with me, you might be able to have a communion with me, and you'd understand what it would mean to be in my name. Okay? So if you were not with me, though, you wouldn't be able to act and operate in my name. If I was gone, if I left, you'd say, oh, what am I going to do now? I can't operate in that name. But that's the difference of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. right? That's the, the difference that Jesus is talking about. They are going to not just have the name of Jesus with them, but in them. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a big difference. So Jesus says, I'm not gone. You can still ask me. If you ask anything in my name. In my character, in who I am, in my being, if you understand who I am, then you're going to have that authority. You're going to be able to work in your life. You're going to have real progress in your faith. Now, notice how this teaching about the greater works and keeping commandments starts to tie clearly back into the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? We start to see how in his name and the greater works, all this ties back in together. The Holy Spirit indwelling us isn't a free-for-all empowerment to do whatever we want. It's not freestyle Christianity. Right? We are called to walk and live in the name of Jesus. And that actually means something. It's not just that slapping it on to the end of a prayer. It's a promise that the entire Godhead will make their home with us and in us. And through that, we learn how to operate in the name of Jesus. 
We learn how to build a house for his name as David did when he built the first temple. Do you remember? That's the language that David even uses. I want to build a house for your name, for the name of God. I'm going to temple that name. And this is what Jesus is speaking to here in the New Testament with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are building a name for Jesus through our presence. So uh, uh, when we pray in Jesus' name, it's a functional operation of the Spirit. Let me say that again. When we pray in the name of Jesus, it's a functional operation of the Spirit. He's doing things. The Spirit intercedes for us. And through even the prayer itself, when we pray to God, the Spirit is teaching us things, isn't it? He intercedes for us. He helps us when we don't even know how to pray. He's bringing to remembrance all the things that Jesus has taught us that we might otherwise forget, right? Because we often do forget. We often don't even know how to pray, and that's why we have the Spirit given to us, right? As verse 26 says, he's guiding us, he's teaching us, he's leading us even through the working of the operations of the Holy Spirit as we're praying. So this is what it means to have the Spirit of truth dwelling in you. Where is truth? Where do we get truth? Well, God is truth. And how are you going to have that? So when we pray, what this helps us realize is that when we pray, we don't pray to God uh, that he carries out our truth. We pray to God in Jesus' name, and the spirit of truth carries out God's truth in us. Right? There's a difference. Because a lot of times when we pray, we're saying, this is my truth. God, do what I want you to do. I want this. Here's my truth. In Jesus' name, do it. Right? That's the way that we often pray. But what this understanding of the Spirit dwelling in us does is it says, no, I'm going to teach you how to pray because if you want to know truth, I am the truth. I'm giving you the Spirit of truth, and this is going to inform not just the world but even your personal thinking. And through your personal thinking, you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But you're going to think differently. You're going to pray differently. You're going to act differently. You're going to actually be able to keep the commandments that I've given to you. Okay? So... We've covered a lot of ground this morning. As we wrapping up this morning, I just want to go back to our questions that we've answered. How do we inhabit the Father's house with many rooms? Well, simply by faith, right? We believe in Jesus. We believe in God. And this unites us to the Godhead three in one, right? That community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son uh, is dwelling in us, or the Spirit is dwelling in us and connects us to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to where they make our home in us. We are at home together. They're dwelling in us. And the Lord fills his temple right here. Okay? Right here. Not, not the, the physical temple, but this temple right here. So what are the implications? It's for the shalom, for the peace of you, the individual. But it's not just for you, is it? There, there's external applications as well. Internally, we have peace. We have fatherhood. We have guidance. We have remembrance for us. He brings to our mind all the things needed for life and godliness. And because of that... Then externally, you can live it out. We are empowered to live out the name of Jesus in an even greater measure than when he was physically present in the world. It's better that he goes away. We rejoice in it. We continue to build a house for his name in us. We expand his kingdom out from us and glorify the Father through our good works that he is helping us do to keep his commandments. Amen? This is a great calling. It's a beautiful thing. I hope you're starting to see that as Jesus gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit in chapter 14. Amen? Let's pray.